My Father, my prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So you get up whenever you get up, and you have a plan to get someplace. You're going. And you know when you have to be there, and you know how long it takes you to get there, and something happens, and now you're running a little bit late. So here's what happens. You've got a goal. You know where the goal is. You know when you need to be there. And now you're a little bit late. And isn't it always the way that now every traffic light is red? And every old lady who can barely see over the wheel is driving at 20 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. And you have to be there on time. And the closer you get, the more frustrated you get because you're not going to get there. And then you start to think mean thoughts about all the people. Like, who voted this traffic light at this? This intersection doesn't need a traffic light. Why don't they retest old people? Everybody over 60 ought to be retested. They shouldn't be allowed to drive. And you're getting madder and madder and angrier and angrier. Now, I know this only happens to me. It happens to none of you. But in psychology, this actually has a name. It's called the frustration aggression hypothesis. That when you have a goal, the closer you get to the goal, and the more frustrated you are in reaching that goal, you will become aggressive. People say, well, not me. I won't become aggressive, Pastor. I'm a person of peace and calm. I meditate every day on the scriptures. Oh, yeah, I say? You got one dollar and you're thirsty and there's a soda machine. And it's got that little slot for the dollar bill. And you put your dollar bill in, it goes zzzz, and it shoots it back out at you. And you say to yourself, self, I say, I'm a calm Christian person. I can do this. And you refold the edges, make sure they're all flat. And you put it in, zzzz, and you smile, zzzz, out it comes. Now, I want you to know that it's just you and the soda machine. There's nobody around. Nobody can hear you. Nobody can see what's going on. So then you take your dollar bill, we've all done this, and you rub it on the corner of the machine to make it as flat as you possibly can. And you put it in. And it stays. And you smile to yourself and you say, I, I am going to get my favorite soda. And you push the button. And nothing comes out. Can you feel the frustration building? But not in me. I'm a godly man. So then you say, well, I have a second choice. And you push that button. And nothing comes out. Razza, frazza, razza, razza, razza. You're saying to yourself. And uh, uh, so now you push another button and another button and another button. Now you're pushing all the buttons as fast as you can. And you are done with this machine. All you want back is your dollar. And you push the change return, and nothing happens. And it's a soda machine. It's not the end of the world. Nobody's losing a limb. There's not a kidney at stake or a life at stake or the spinning of the world. It's just a soda machine. And we are filled with aggression and rage. That's part of the human spirit. We have a goal when we don't reach the goal. We lose our temper. Now, you don't have to yell at the machine. You can keep all that temper inside. 
You could just walk away, button your jacket and walk away, but inside that emotion has to go somewhere. That's how people get stress and colitis and all those other things, because they've kept all those strong emotions stuck inside. Jesus is talking about this in the scripture today. He's talking about, and and listen to the sins he picks. He's got murder, name-calling. I'm not sure how that one fits, but we'll talk about it. Murder, name-calling, and adultery are the three big sins he picks. All three of them come from that internal frustration and anger. You don't usually hear the news where somebody loves somebody so much that they shot them, right? Or that somebody was so in love with their husband that they decided to go and have adultery. Or that somebody was so calm and happy that they called someone else a name. There's usually... A frustration involved, an anger, something that pushes us to that point. See, emotion, actually, in the Greek is the word emotere, and it means energy in motion. Emotion. It either makes us move towards something or away from something, or sometimes it can make us stop in our place. Right? Fear can make you stop right in your place. Love makes you go towards somebody. There is nothing like coming home from a long day and this pretty red-headed girl that I know meets me at the door and gives me a big hug. Love goes towards something. I, I, li- I like to go in and out several times if I could. Vicky would think I was nuts. But I'd come in and hug her, uh-huh, and go out and come back in and hug her again. Why? Because emotion moves you in a direction towards something. Anger moves you away from something. Anger builds walls. Anger is a gulf sometimes that you you can't cross. Anger is an impenetrable shield. I worked with a couple once in therapy, and I'm not telling tales out of school because this was over 20 years ago, but uh, his name was Bob. And I'll never forget because she said his name like this. Bob! And when when they started getting close to a tiff, She would go, Bob, you know what I'm like when I'm angry. And Bob would back down. So one day, the therapist, not knowing, said to Bob, Bob, what's she like when she's angry? He said, you know what? I have no idea. We've never gotten to that point. Just by threatening to get angry, she had trained Bob over 40 years that that was the cue to back down. And I got to tell you, the... The, the, the impish part of me wanted to see. Like, what, what, you've been threatening for 40 years. What does it actually look like? But anger builds walls. Remember, there was a, a reporter on television named Mr. McGee. And he was sure that there was this big green monster running around the country. You remember this? The monster was played by Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> There you go. And on occasion, Mr. McGee and Bill Bixby would become face to face. And he would say, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And all of us who were watching knew that the angry Bill Bixby turned into the Incredible Hulk. But anger puts walls up. And that's where Jesus is. If you're headed to the altar, 
Now, think about this. The altar in Bible times was where you got forgiveness of sins. You took your animal to the altar. The priest would kill the animal, cut the animal in half. There was all this moving around of organs and fat, and they would burn some of it. They would save some of it for the priest. And by shedding blood on the altar, your sin was washed away. And here's what Jesus says. Just taking your sacrifice to the altar is not enough. You need to proactively get forgiveness for your sin from the person you have wronged. Saying I'm sorry to God is not enough if there is still a debt left on the earth. The four things I talked about in the children's sermon we're going to talk about here is the first thing Jesus says before you go to the altar before you go to the throne of grace, before you claim the promise that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he says, what have you done to cleanse yourself from sin? Is there a debt? Is there something you owe? Is there a, a, a crime against somebody that you've committed? I don't mean like a crime where you call the police, but you've hurt their feelings or you've not kept a promise. You know where we're headed. Jesus says the first thing you need to do is stop and say, where am I in this? What, what do I own and what can I fix? The second thing he says you need to do is seek. You have to go and find the person. When uh, people go through the 12-step program, they're often asked to make amends to go and do a fearless inventory of the people that they've hurt in their life and then make amends, even if it means saying, I'm sorry for that, even if it was 20 years ago. Make amends for the people that you've hurt. Stop and seek. Find the person. Find the person. And then the third thing is solve the problem. I, I deal a lot with children because I'm an elementary school teacher during the day. And there's nothing worse than the unheartfelt apology. Right? Kid comes up, slams the other kid in the back, or knocks their book out of their hands, or there's some act of minor elementary school violence. Oh, man, you say, apologize. And he goes, sorry. And I say, that doesn't cut it. And they look at me like, what? I said, you got to mean it. You got to look him in the eye. You got to shake his hand. You got to mean it. I'm sorry. And sorry means I'm not going to do it anymore. And they look at me like, you're the music teacher. Why are you doing this? I'm like, because I don't want it to happen in my class again. Or the kid who's talking. And I say, please stop. He goes, I'm sorry. And he's talking. I say, please stop. He goes, I'm sorry. I said, you only get one sorry. What they say? I said, the first one means I'm not going to do it anymore. The second one means the first one didn't count. God says, don't come to my altar unless you're willing to admit the embarrassment and the pain that you've caused to another human being. And then I'm willing to forgive. You can't just come up here to have all your sins washed away if you're not willing to take responsibility. First, you have to stop. Then you have to seek. Find the person that you've hurt. Then you have to solve the problem, really solve the problem. Not a elementary school, sorry. God says, I have to say sorry, and then you walk away. 
And then the fourth thing is sacrifice. Bring something to the altar. And the Apostle Paul does this for us. He says, brothers and sisters, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. You then become God's hand, God's feet in this world. The story is told about Leonardo da Vinci. He was painting the Last Supper. We've all seen the painting of the Last Supper. And he was down to Christ's face. And that morning on his way to his studio, he had had a conflict. And it doesn't say with whom, but it was a conflict. And harsh words were spoken mostly on the part of Leonardo da Vinci. And he got to his studio and he prepared to paint and he could not find the inspiration to paint the face of Jesus. And let's be honest, he was Leonardo da Vinci and he probably had that talk with himself, like all of us do, like, I'm Leonardo da Vinci, why can't I paint this face? And then it occurred to him that there was a wrong that needed to be righted and he left his studio and he went and found the man with whom he had had the harsh words. He reconciled with the man and the story is that he went back and he finished the face of Jesus in the Last Supper. There was a, a church, this is a, a parable sort of thing, but there was a church in, North, in New England and they were having trouble with backbiting and gossip. And they went to a wise pastor a, a town or two away and they said, Pastor, can you help us? And he said, let me pray on it and I'll, I'll write you a letter. Now at the same time, a farmer had come to him and said, Pastor, I'm having trouble running my farm, and the pastor said the same thing. Let me pray on it, and I'll write you a letter. So the pastor prayed on it, and he wrote two letters, one to the church and one to the farmer. <laughs> and then in those days, you called somebody to have the letters taken, and you know what happened. The farmer's letter went to the church, and the church's letter went to the farmer. And here's Here's what the letter to the farmer said that the church received. You had better see that your fences are put up well in the first place. Plow your ground deep and sort your seed. Be careful not to sow foul seed and take care of that great ugly bull you own. I think you had better poke him. The rest I will tell you when I come. So the church sat in silence trying to figure out this message from the pastor. So finally one man stood up and he said, well, the putting up of fences must be the rules of discipline. You know, we've not been running our church well. I think we need to reinforce the walls of our church, the discipline that makes us who we are. He says, and plowing the rough ground might be a warning to open our hearts that we become too hardened to one another's needs and concerns and we need to open our hearts. And he says, of course, not sowing foul seed was a warning against the obvious. There's too much sin in this world and we need to sow brotherly love instead of sin. The warning, let me finish. And the great ugly bull, he said, could only civilize the devil who had come into their midst and was stirring them up with strife. Well, the church was so moved by the pastor's advice that people began to open their hearts and confess to one another. The gossip stopped, the backbiting stopped, 
And the pastor was reticent to tell them that he had sent them the wrong letter. Jesus says, don't let your anger get the best of you. Don't let those thoughts that you have that create that anger get the best of you. The shoulds, the oughts, the mustn'ts. Sometimes we minimalize. We, we take a big thing and we make it too small. Or we take a little thing and we make it too big. Or we always work in the black and white. And there's only right and, right and wrong. And we don't see the gray. And then we get mad at other people when they live in the gray. We teach people, as, as a therapist, I taught people, it's not life that makes you crazy. It's what you think about life that makes you crazy. Jesus says, don't let your anger move you in the wrong direction. Sin separates us from God, and today we're calling that sin anger. Anger can separate you from God, and if you feel separate from God, we'd like to offer you the opportunity to pray with, pray with our deacons or our elders at the end of the service, and we're going to leave the front pew open during the last hymn. If you feel that God is far away and you need to reconcile with God, please pray with our elders. Sin separates us from one another. And Jesus came to reconcile that. Beloved, let us love one another, John wrote, for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loveth not, loveth not God, for God is love. And if you feel separate from the people around you in the congregation, if there's something that you need to stop and solve before you put your gift on the altar, we would love to pray with you. And hear this. Sin can separate you from your true self, from the person that God has called and planned for you to be. Maybe your fences are not strong enough. Maybe you're not spending the time you should in the word or in prayer. Maybe you found that the seed that comes out of your mouth is uh, not a brotherly love seed, but a seed of, of separation and anger and frustration with those in the body or in your family or at your workplace. And maybe it's time for you to poke that old bull and say, devil, leave me alone. I belong to Jesus Christ. And you have no power here. I sometimes say this to little children. I say, hurry up and fix that before somebody drops a house on you. And they all know my favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz. And in essence, that's what Jesus is saying. Fix this quickly before somebody drops a house on you. And houses, the new Jerusalem, I want to be in it, not under it. The, the front two pews will be open for you to pray. But hear this, anger is not the way to handle conflict. And hopefully you wrote these down. There's four S's. You need to stop, seek. You, nobody wrote these down. Excuse me, I'm going to tell. Nobody wrote these down. You need to stop, seek, deed. Good for deed. Stop, seek, solve. And sacrifice. Amen. We are doing another offering for IHOC. I'm sorry, have a seat. We'll take the offering and then we'll do the last hymn.
Thank you.